0: Our Bible reading now is from Psalm 90, halfway through the Bible: "Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you were brought forth, or you brought forth the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn men back to dust, saying, "Return to dust, O sons of men." For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning, though in the morning it springs up new, by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 years, or 80 if we have the strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendour to their children. May the favour of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Praise be to God for his word.
1: Uh, Let me me pray. Uh, Father, I want to pray now that in my weakness your power might be known, uh, and that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, in university ministry, uh, I'm often, to s- often speaking to people uh, from different cultures and different places, uh, people who are away from their home. Uh, For them, often what they call home uh, is another country. They're away from home Uh, and they often feel homesick. They talk about going back to their home country. Uh, If you've ever lived away from home, perhaps in another culture, perhaps you know what it's like to be homesick. That's not true of everyone, is it? Uh, I wonder if you know people like I do who just thrive on the endless adventure of new cultures and travel. Uh, and these people who never seem to have a home. Uh, I have a friend like that who's travelling around the Middle East at the moment and he's, he's just always on the move. Uh, and he's always content with that. That's the kind of life that he's content with. Um, but with my students, for example, you've got uh, an international school in Asia... Uh, let's say someone spends some time there sometimes they can then go and spend some time in America then they're in Europe uh, and then they're now planning to live in Africa where is their home? Where do they live? and where is your home? where do you live? Uh, I remember one friend who grew up in the Middle East Uh, he has Australian parents uh, but he only came to Australia really for the first time to live here when he was 18. Uh, but of course, he didn't feel at home here. Now, uh, his home was the international school where he had come from. Um, but that school, of course, wasn't home for him anymore either. He was forever away from home. Uh, and that troubled him deeply. Uh, I wonder if you've ever faced the challenge uh, when you have to move home. Uh, Psychologists tell us that the moving homes is rated as one of the most stress-inducing things we can do. I wonder why that is. Uh, There's practical stresses, aren't there, in moving home? Uh, But there is also, uh, it raises questions about who we are uh, and how we identify ourselves, doesn't it? Still worse than that situation is our current refugee crisis. 65 or 70 million refugees worldwide forced to move home because of violence or war. For them, they don't even have a country to call their home. That must be awful. Uh, On the flip side of all this, we also have uh, affluent Western materialists, don't we? Uh, where we have plenty of money to build big houses, but it seems not the wisdom to build stable homes. Uh, Today my intention is to to bring both a challenge to the one who thinks he's found a home and great comfort in this world, Uh, and also to bring a great word of assurance to those who are homeless or feel away from home. Uh, And so the intention is to meditate on the one reality that makes a difference to all of this and what we consider to be our home, the one enduring reality that enables us to face all this. And it's there in verse 1. Have a look with me there, verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Uh, The Psalms typically describe the life of a believer Uh, and what it's like to be part of a believing family of God. Uh, So in this psalm, we meet someone addressing God in verse 1, saying, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. We're overhearing what the psalmist is saying to God, listening in on a conversation where the writer of the psalm is addressing God. But of course, the words of the psalmist to God have also become God's words to us now there's two clues here uh, to unlock the meaning of the psalm to help us to understand it and the first thing is that this psalm is described as a a prayer of Moses uh, a man of God it's a prayer and so the heading is important here it's part of the original Hebrew text of the Old Testament Uh, and it's important because it links us to a number of references in Deuteronomy Um, So it's not just a general psalm, someone saying somewhere, Lord, you've been our dwelling place. No, these are words of the great prophet Moses, the leader of God's people, speaking to God on behalf of the people, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. And the second clue here to the psalm is... Uh, that verse 1 is kind of a key and a necessary backdrop to the whole psalm. So I'm not actually going to speak on the whole psalm as such today, but to show how verse 1 is a necessary backdrop to the rest of the psalm. Lord, you have been our dwelling place. So he's not saying, Lord, you've provided us a rescue, though God has, if you remember, out of Egypt. He's not just saying, Lord, you've protected us and looked after us, though that's true as well. He's saying, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. You have been our home. God himself is the dwelling place of his people. Uh, so it's not that just God had said, I'll look after you. Rather, God is the dwelling place of his people. His people live in God. God is our postcode. God is our dwelling place. Uh, Moses has the same theme uh, in the book of Deuteronomy 33:27, where he says, "The eternal God is our dwelling place." Take it straight from the mouth of Moses. It's also in Moses' prayer in Deuteronomy 26:15. Those references are there on your outline there, uh, where he says, uh, "Look down from your dwelling place from heaven and bless us." So the same theme is there. On Moses' lips, God has a home, we live there. God has a home, we live there. It's a picture of security, of safety, of love, of intimacy, of the permanent care and protection of our great God. See, where will you live? You might love the home that you live in. Uh, You might loathe the home that you live in and want to move. You might be someone who thrives on continuing to move about from place to place. But more important though than the place that you live is to keep living in God. Our permanent home to live forever in him. Uh, Whether you're living in a mansion or in an alley, more important than either of those is to live in God. You won't find a better home. Uh, But notice Moses doesn't just say, Lord, you are our dwelling place. It gets more interesting. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in every generation. Uh, Now, Moses would have had his uh, uh, audience... Uh, to keep in mind for the material here Uh, but also the final compiler of the Psalms uh, also has his purpose and his audience okay so Moses has a purpose when he speaks these words but the, the Psalms aren't finally put together as a whole, as a book until the exilic or post-exilic period of Israel when they, if you remember, the people of Israel had been booted out of the promised land, invaded by the Assyrians and then later by the Babylonians and they'd been removed from their home, the promised land. And so for the original recipients that the compiler of the book of Psalms has in mind, the meaning has this wonderful comforting Effect, Because despite being tossed to and fro by the rise and fall of empires, the Jewish people are are scattered throughout the Mediterranean. Despite not being home and not having a home, the author is saying, your home has always been God. God has always been your home. Not just, Lord, at the moment you're our dwelling place, or I hope we can live with you in the future. No, he's pointing to the great reality that the life of the people of God as a community, that the Lord has always been our dwelling place, the place where we live, and not one is lost. Uh, Notice too, Moses says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. Uh, The next Psalm, if you have a look, Psalm 91, concerns the safety of an individual believer. Singular. Uh, And many of the Psalms do that. But in Psalm 90, we have the same care, protection and intimacy for the people of God, for the community of God as a whole. So it's not just that I am safe in God. That's not what we're meant to be thinking here. Not just that I am safe with God. It's about the security of the people of God in every generation that they are safe in God's care as a community we are safe in God's care we're bound to one another therefore by our common home in God Moses says Lord you have been our dwelling place throughout every generation throughout all generations our assurance of salvation we usually conceive of individually don't we Uh, but Here, it's not just because God has promised to protect you or me, but because God has promised to protect us as a community. Corporately, we live in God. Now, uh, how can the Lord be a dwelling place in every generation? Well, verse 2 gives the answer to that. Verse 2, before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. See, God is the resident furniture that constitutes permanent reality uh, and who created the entire cosmos. God has been there in eternity forever. This God, the eternal God, is our dwelling place. And he's also the creator of the whole universe. He made the mountains and he formed the earth. We're talking about a God who's by mighty power, we exist. We dwell in him. So if it's by God's mighty power we exist, then it's by God's mighty power that he can protect us and he can establish himself as our home. It's a wonderful, gracious gesture isn't it to make people these image bearers made in his own image to find their home in him not at a distance here on earth but with him as our home our dwelling place lord you've been our dwelling place throughout all generations Uh, notice how it gets more exciting though In verse 3 moses says to god well he says verse 1 you've been our dwelling place verse 2 before the mountains were born from everlasting to everlasting you are God what then of us verse 3 you turn men back to dust saying return to dust O sons of men for a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night Our glory is that the Lord God is our dwelling place but here is our humility, here is our our weakness that we are made of dust and that we die and that God returns us to the dust. He's recalling Genesis 2 and 3 if you remember the story where God formed man from the dust uh, and then he returns him to the dust for his rebellion against God death then means the end of of every human ambition every human achievement and pride and prosperity and and every empire that we build for ourselves when we die that all goes it all withers up there's no more to achieve you can't come back from death and fix the relationships you've messed up you can't come back from death and be around your family forever you can't come back from death Death makes a mockery of all that we are, of all our glory, doesn't it? All our achievement comes to nothing. When you die, that's it. I wonder if you've thought about your death lately. It's a really important thing to do, to think about our death. But why is it here in verse 3, next to the great truths of verses 1 and 2? Lord, you've been our dwelling place. See, for Moses, both are true. The glory of our eternal dwelling place in God uh, and the fact that we all die. He holds them together. And all our show, all our achievement, all our scientific achievement, all the achievement of world leaders, all the trophies that we hold in this life come to nothing. We're nothing. Or almost nothing. We're dust. You turn us back to the dust, saying, turn back you mortals verse 4 for a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by like a watch in the night you sweep men away in the sleep of death they are like the new grass of the morning though in the morning it springs up new by evening it is dry and withered Uh, I'm told that there are species of grass there's a um, one of the pastors at our church is a has a history of studying botany and he tells me that there is a species of grass or a number of species that germinate and then they spring up in the morning Uh, they thrive during under the light of the sun during the day and then by evening they wither up and die that's the end of them Uh, and you look at these blades of grass spring up right they're one day gone tomorrow and it's hard to not to think, how pathetic is that life? Right? They spring up and then they're gone. There are nothing. Moses acknowledges before God, actually that's you. That's me. We're here today and we're gone tomorrow. How, I don't know if you've noticed this, but as you get older, the years go by quicker and quicker, don't they? I can't believe I'm 40. I turned 40 this year, okay, last year. The years go by quicker and quicker. It seemed like only yesterday I was a teenager. Only a day before that, that I was in primary school. The years go by quicker. We're a flash in the pan, aren't we? Here today, gone tomorrow, our lives slither away. We live, we breathe we die we're just a vapor a puff of smoke Uh, now if you merely consider that reality on its own just observing the fact that we all die that's demonstrably true isn't it Uh, that we all die it can leave you feeling quite cold and isolated can't it Uh, and that's what we see in the book of ecclesiastes don't we Moses view of the universe though Adds several other dimensions to the picture because he says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Even though we return to the dust, Lord, you've been our dwelling place. You see, verse 1 unlocks the rest of the psalm. Moses can then face the reality of verse 3 because he knows the reality of verse 1. You return us back to the dust saying, turn back, you mortals, and we die. He knows the glorious truth that God is our dwelling place. Lord, you have been our dwelling place. Both are true. We live for eternity in God, though we face death and decay. Um, So there's this great contrast then between verses 1 and 2 and then verses 3 to 6, Uh, And then in verses 7 to 12, we see the reason for our mortality. Did you notice that? Uh, Have a look at verse 7. Uh, We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. Another word for rage. There are some immense and painful contrasts here. The Lord is our dwelling place. Yet our lives are extinguished by the anger of God. And we're overwhelmed by the rage of God. Why does God turn us back to the dust? Why is death introduced? Why do we lose immortality that we thought we had? Because of God's righteous judgment against our sin. We're ended by your anger, by your heated fury, he says to God. Why? Verse 8, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. We know this is true of all of us, don't we? We, don't, we haven't honoured God the way we ought to. We haven't thanked God the way that we ought to. God is not at the centre of our lives like he ought to be. We know that we're out of kilter with God by nature, don't we? We've seen the great joy and privilege of living in the dwelling place of God. But here's the, here's the downside of our existence, the drawback. Every part of our life then is open to God. You can't live at home with God and hide your sins from God. You, you can't live before the face of God and hope that he will ignore everything that you do. There's no use pretending we can't be seen before this God. Our eyes, our, his eyes are open and our lives are laid bare. You see, we laugh, don't we, when we read about Adam hiding in the garden from God. What was he doing, thinking, thinking that he could hide from God? But then, then we do the same, don't we? And we pretend no one's looking. It'll be okay. We pretend we can hide our sins from God. But it's a lie, isn't it? Because God has set our iniquities before himself. He can see. So how do you respond to knowing this? Uh, Well, it might make you angry that God sees all your faults, all your hidden thoughts, every deed of darkness, every lie, every time we embitter ourselves. It might make you feel ashamed. It's humiliating, isn't it? Having all our failures on view before God. We don't want to be transgressors. We don't want to be people of sin. We like to think of ourselves as good, don't we? I didn't do anything wrong. We like to hide our sins from God. We like to hide them from ourselves. We don't like thinking about them, but God has set them before himself. And yet, knowing this is also the path to grace, isn't it? As God's people, we don't despair at this exposure before God because the God who sees us is the God in whose home we live and he welcomes us into his home. However, that alone doesn't dissolve the tension, the intolerable tension, what seems here, uh, of what it's like to live as God's people. God allows us sinful people with whom he is angry to make our home with him. He makes us to live in his home, though he knows every sin of our lives. Moses continues the theme in verses 9 to 11. 9 to 11, uh, All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow for they quickly pass and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger for your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. This then drives him to pray in verse 12. Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Knowing our mortality is the key for wisdom, isn't it? True wisdom is knowing our mortality and our sinfulness before God. In Psalm 2, there's no refuge from God. The only refuge from God is in God you can't hide God you can't hide from God rather you can only hide in God you see there's no safe place in the universe away from God if you try to keep him at a distance he can still see you he still knows you there's no safe place away from him the only safe place from God's anger is in God Lord, you've been our dwelling place in every generation. That's not the end of the psalm, though. The resolution between the eternity of God and the mighty power of God, our mortality and sinfulness, is there in 13 to 17. Have a look with me there. Relent, O Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Uh, We found in verse 3 that Moses says to God, turn us back to the dust. Now Moses says, now Moses prays for God to turn. Turn from your anger towards us. Turn towards us in your compassion and mercy. Moses can say, God, we're under your wrath, but God, have compassion. So he prays in verse 14, Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. See, that's what God's compassion looks like. That's what God's compassion feels like. It's steadfast, compassionate love. We are turned back to the dust. We are under the judgment of God, but we're also under the compassion of God. We're also living in the presence of God, satisfied with God's steadfast love and rejoicing in God. It's easy to imagine either on the one hand being down and gloomy uh, or on the other hand being upbeat and happy, isn't it? Uh, Moses puts together what we neither pursue, that we, so that we neither presume upon God and his goodness towards us Because we're under judgment, we'll return to dust. But nor despair of our mortality. Because God is our dwelling place, do you see? We need to hold both of those together. So Moses is facing uh, mortality, our weakness, our frailty, our fragility, our brokenness, our sinfulness. And yet he says, satisfy us. Make us full in the morning with your steadfast love. That we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Give us joy as many as the days you have humbled us, the years we saw adversity. So Moses has great expectations of what it's like to live with God, that God will make us glad, that knowing God, full of joy in the presence of God, that's where he ends up, doesn't he? Because Moses knows that the deep, eternal purpose of God is to enjoy his people and have his people enjoy him as they live together for eternity. And how will this happen? Uh, well, he, it's through prayer, isn't it? He prays, verse sixteen: May your deeds be shown to your servants and your splendor to their children. So, so the work and the glorious power of God is the work and the glorious power of God in rescuing His people, in delivering His people, in taking His people to Himself, to make them His own, transforming them by His grace and mercy, protecting them for eternity. And making them glad and joyful all their days. So Moses wants to see the great and glorious power and work of God. Uh, And then verse 17 is climactic. Right. Uh, May the favor of the Lord God rest upon us. Establish the work for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Prosper our daily work is his prayer. Uh, We've learned that only god is from everlasting to everlasting and our life is delimited by mortality bracketed by birth and by death we turned back to the dust yet moses can pray to god that god would prosper our daily work what's our daily work well it's everything isn't it? it's washing up it's preparing food it's fixing stuff, it's cleaning the floor. Uh, If you have a family, it's caring for your family. Uh, It's getting the kids dressed, it's teaching the kids. Uh, It's changing nappies. Uh, As Christians, of course, it includes praying with people, it includes reading the Bible with people, it includes visiting a friend, it includes administration and stupid tasks like that. It involves fixing the car, planning for the future, calling people on the phone, all of this stuff. Moses says, prosper the work of our hands we don't have the kind of control that we think we have but God can establish the work of our hands are you working well pray Lord establish the work of our hands you can find yourself doing the most mundane things in life can't you what's what's the next hard chore for you today Or tomorrow. The one that you just don't want to do. You don't have to think hard, do you? Pray. Lord, prosper the work of my hands. Lord, you've been our dwelling place in every generation. You are God. What's your address? God's house. That's where we live. And that's why Hebrews 12 can say what it says. You have come to. Hebrews 12 Instead you've come to Mount Zion the city of the living God to myriads of angels in festive gathering to the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven to God who is judge of all to the spirits of the righteous people made perfect to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and the sprinkled blood which says better things than the blood of Abel. You've come to God. You've come to your true home. Where do we live? God, God is your home. Jesus has been raised from the dead and seated with him in the heavenly realms. There is our hope. There is where the wrath of God has been dealt with. It's been dealt with in Jesus, hasn't it? On the cross where Jesus has bore our sin and our shame, where he has taken the wrath of God upon himself so that we can live with God. We live with Jesus. Will we be there for long? Yes, we'll be living with Jesus in God's presence forever. That's our home. That's our eternal dwelling place. How? Because of Jesus' sacrifice for us, which covers our sins and turns aside the wrath of God. We're with him and in him because he is the one who in his grace and mercy died so that by his atoning blood we could be forgiven and so forgiven, so made clean that we can live in the very presence of God. That is a wonder and a joy and you can see why Moses rejoices. Not clean enough to live at a distance but clean enough to live with God, in God forever. Where do we live? Well, your home is not your residence on this earth, is it? It's not a space. It's not a country. It's not a geography thing. It's not about culture. Your home is a person. It's God. That's where you live. Jesus says, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. Jesus is God's dwelling place. He's our home. When you're with Jesus, you're always home. Even if you're a refugee. See, I enjoy the place where I live. Uh, I've got my wife, Jess. We've got the kids. There's clocks. There's furniture. There's a coffee machine. It's good. But it's not my true home. My true home is with God. These words... For over 3,000 years old, God has preserved and kept his people in the palm of his hand for thousands of years. Despite the persecution, despite the exhaustion, despite the corruption, the failure of sin of the people of God, God is still our dwelling place. So we don't just rejoice in God's mercy for us as individuals. We rejoice in God's mercy for keeping his people safe and made secure by the sacrifice of our great high priest, that we might live in God forever. I'm going to pray. Father, we praise you for the wonderful truths that are exposed to us in this psalm, that you've made yourself known in this wonderful way. We thank you that you have become our home and that you are always the home for the people of God we pray that in your kindness you would teach us to number our days that we would know our mortality that we would know that we are returning back to the dust and that our only hope lies with the resurrection of Jesus thank you that when we have come to Jesus that we, when we know our hope in him, that we have joined you in your home, with you as our home, and that we know that this is an eternal thing. For from generation to generation, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Amen.